You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to see all of you out this morning uh, on this beautiful Sunday morning to be uh, in church with us today. And uh, it's just, uh, I say it often, but I don't mean it any less. If this is your first time attending or if it's uh, uh, even your second, third, whatever it may be, if you consider yourself a guest, we want you to know this morning that there's not another church that is more honored to have you this morning than Faith Worship Center. We're grateful for you coming and grateful for you being here this morning. We just encourage you. I trust you've been blessed already, and we encourage you to continue to get in and let the Lord touch you this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, I won't tarry any longer, and we'll get right into the Word. Please don't let the Word be confusing to you this morning, I promise. We'll slow down and we'll understand it. Uh, we'll, if you don't understand what we're preaching or what we're saying, what good have we done? And so we want some understanding. And if you have a question later, then I welcome you to get with me. But you've got to understand the Word. And so we're going to slow down and try to teach this this morning. Second Corinthians, well, I guess if I'm going to ask you to get there, I should get there myself. Second Corinthians in chapter number 7. And we'll start here in verse number 8 and read down, and I understand I'm cutting in the middle, but we'll read down to verse 12. The Apostle Paul wrote here, and he said, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that in the same epistle has made you sorry, though it was for but a season. Now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed. I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness is wrought in you? Yes, what clearing of yourselves? Yes, what indignation? Yes, what fear? Yes, what vehement desire? Yes, what zeal? Yes, what revenge? In all things, you have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. Wherefore, though I write unto you, I did it not for this cause who had done the wrong, nor for his cause who suffered wrong, but that our care talking about the church for you, and the sight of God might appear unto you. Now, everybody's in here thinking, I don't understand nothing you just said. We're going to understand it. It's not that hard. But the subject that I want to talk to you this morning is understanding repentance. Understanding repentance. It's a term that we've heard. If you've been in the church, you've heard it all your life. It's something that's been preached over and over and over again. But do we understand repentance, and do we get the concept of the reason for repentance, and what is actually happening when I repent? I want to talk about that this morning, and I'm asking you to help me pray that the Lord would help me to deliver and to rightly divide this word of truth. Will you pray with me? Father, I love you today, and I thank you, God, for your grace, for your mercy, and for your love, and I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity one more time to be able to stand before your people, Lord, and to preach your already anointed word. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus that you would open our ears to properly hear, our hearts, God, to receive, and anoint my lips, God, to deliver and rightly divide this morning. Lord, I do not take this lightly because I'm asking you to do something that I can't do, and that is to move upon the hearts of every individual that is here this morning. Do the work that you've come to do. Help us to be sensitive, Lord, to allow you to do that, and I'll be very careful to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor in the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ, and everybody says, Amen. The subject of repentance is definitely not a new subject to the church. It's not a new term. It's not a new message. It's not a new topic. If you've been in church, well, I could go as far to say it's probably so common that even if you've not been in church that you've heard the word repentance and you got a little bit of knowledge about what it means to repent. Turn down just a little bit. And so, not only to the church, but in the scripture also, repentance is so common to us, the listener, 
Because repentance is so common in the, in the text, in the Scripture. When we look at, in the Scripture, in Matthew chapter 3, we're not going to turn there, but Matthew chapter number 3, it says the message of John the Baptist, when he came out of the wilderness and he began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, his message, you got to understand, the church has not heard a voice from a prophet, a man, a woman of God, in over 400 years. And all of a sudden, here comes this man eating locusts and honey that looks like a guy that just stepped way out of the middle of the wilderness, and he starts preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, the word repent got everybody's attention. And when they started to listen to him, he was the one that actually introduced Jesus Christ before he would start his, his ministry. He would say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. We need to repent. He, he told us to repent, the knowledge of repentance, but also he pointed us to something else. Repent, behold the Lamb. Repent, behold the Lamb. Repent and behold the Lamb. Repentance means to turn from something. If I'm going to turn from something, I've also got to turn to something. He was saying, turn from your selfish ways and turn to Jesus Christ. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away. Oh, I wish that was my message this morning, but I got to stick where I'm at. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And then Matthew chapter number 4 tells us this. The first word of Jesus Christ when he started his ministry as recorded by Matthew, the first word was repent. Jesus Christ picked up the message of John the Baptist so that everybody would know that they were in unity, that they were together. I am the one that he spoke of. In fact, what he was saying is so true that I'm going to begin to echo his message. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Mark chapter number 6, when Jesus sent out the disciples, the Bible says that the message of all of the disciples was this. They didn't care who they was talking to. They didn't care if you was black or white or Asian or African. They didn't care if you were rich or poor, if you were a Jew, if you were a Gentile. They didn't care if you were a barbarian, a man or a woman. They said, all men under heaven must repent to come to God. That was their message. Luke chapter number 13. Jesus said this, Repent or we shall perish. So now we have the message of repent. And then when we get to Luke chapter 13, we learn that it's not an option. Repent or we will perish. Repent or we will perish. Repentance is twofold. I want to ask you this morning, do we understand repentance? Do you have a proper understanding of what it is because it's twofold? It comes from a root word. I don't throw out Greek words. If I tried to pronounce it, I'm not going to do a good job. You're not going to remember the Greek word anyway. Amen. And so I want to give you the meaning because I want you to understand it. It comes from a root word asking us a question, and this is the question it's asking you. What are you joined to? What is it that has control or charge over your life? Because, okay, let me move on. What is it that we have joined ourselves to? By definition, it is a twofold. It means to turn from error. Let's say error here. Turn from error, make an about face, a 180, and turn to God. I turn from my error. Whatever wrong in my life, I make an about face and I turn to God. The thing that we get hung up on is it seems like that I'm always having to turn from something. And so repentance, I'm thinking every time I turn around, I'm having to repent. Our view our, is only half there. Our concept of the word repentance is, all, is only half there. It's not that you're turning from something. It's that you're turning to somebody. If I'm turning from error, I'm turning from God. Turning from error is not bad, and turning to God is not a bad thing either. So it's a twofold meaning. 
By definition, it means turn from error and turn to God. The common misunderstanding that is in my spirit, I'm just laying some groundwork here that I want to deal with this morning, that I, that I feel like that I need to re- address, is that in the regards to the believer about the subject repentance, is that it's easy to get hung up on the fact that I've failed and I need to repent, or I've failed again and again. And again, and again, and again, and again. Okay, I'm by myself this morning. I'm the only one that failed more than once. Again and again. Well, I don't fail. That's your first failure. You just lied. We fell again and again and again. Come on, I'm just going to talk to you. I'm a, I'm a believer, so I want to tell you how I feel in regards or used to use as a concept um, of, of, of repentance. If I repent and I continue to repent and I continue to repent, pretty soon the enemy of my soul tells me, you're repenting all the time, you just can't live for God. You've done so much repenting, you just want to give up. Every time you're turning around, you haven't asked God to forgive you, when are you going to come to the knowledge that you just can't do this? I wish I had some help this morning, at least I know I wasn't by myself, and I get so hung up on the fact that the enemy of my soul is telling me that you've messed up so many times, why is it that you think God is going to keep taking you back? Because failure after failure after failure after failure, we allow it to build up discouragement in us, and then we're wondering, uh, why am I even worthy to keep turning to God? I want you to understand this. Understanding repentance is understanding this. If I'm having to repent, it's because that I'm not okay with offending God. I'm not okay with anything in my life that goes against what God expects of me. If I understand repentance, I understand that only the only reason I'm repenting is because I've got a desire to turn from whatever it is I'm repenting from to a place where I'm pleasing God. Listen, if you're repenting all the time, let me applaud you. Get your head up. It simply means that you love God and you want to please God doesn't mean that you're so dirty and rotten you can't even serve God. It means that you love God and you want to serve Him. If you didn't have a desire to serve God, you wouldn't repent. Come on, if you're going to be a good Christian, you better learn how to repent. So now, the enemy says you're a failure, you can't do this, and your witness is blowed and all of this kind of stuff, and I've, I've repented over and over and over and over. Let me tell you this. Here's what God is not doing. He's not counting how many times you've repented. He knows if it's real or not. But he's not up there making a check mark every time you repented. And when he gets to a place that, well, they've reached their max. They can't repent no more. They just can't live for me. God's not doing that. And to be honest with you, I'm trying not to let self get involved, but I'm sick and tired of the church as a whole of putting God so far up on a throne that mankind can't reach them. And if you mess up once or twice or too many times, that God has knocked you all, God has knocked you out of the kingdom of God anyway. Let me tell you something. God may have done that. I just don't know what God they're talking about. The God of the Bible is not waiting to knock you out. God of the Bible is there with his hand stretched out saying I love you I'll pick you up my grace is sufficient for you and my strength will be made perfect God loves you this morning now God's not counting how many times we repent I promise I'm going to get to our text so let me just recap something if you've been here on Wednesday nights something that you understand and something that you know and if you've not been here on Wednesday nights and you can make it you need to be here It's the foundation. It is the very foundation of our Christianity. It's the ABCs, and we need to understand it. But when we look on Wednesday nights, we've been at justification. Justification is my declaration of being not guilty before God. Everybody in here wants to be not guilty. Some of us want to be not guilty. I hope all does. Four services. And it's also my position of justification becomes my position by which now God can change me. Listen, if you're not here this morning, or if you're not understand this morning, justification is a legal term. 
It gives God the legal right to declare one not guilty based upon their faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary. It is a courtroom type setting and I got good news for you this morning. Heaven's courtroom is open. The judge has already took his seat. Jesus Christ is there as your advocate. The accuser, the devil is over there. We understand that. But the truth of the matter is you can walk into his courtroom knowing how the verdict is going to turn out. If you'll walk in and say my faith is in Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ will stand in front of you. God will look down at you. He will see the perfect, the perfection of his son and he rightfully can declare you not guilty. Yes, you. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far in sin. The truth of the matter is, if you place your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary, God can lower the gavel and say not guilty of anything and everything they've ever done. We're justified by our faith. You're not justified by water baptism. You're not justified by church membership. You're not justified because you spoke in tongues. You're justified by your faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross of Calvary. So now that I'm in heaven's courtroom and I've been justified, I've been declared not guilty, here's where I'm at. That remains my position. I'm in Christ. 147 times the New Testament refers to the believer as being in Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm in Jesus. I'm not out somewhere else. I'm in Christ. I know it looks like I'm in Portia, Arkansas this morning, but spiritually speaking, I am inside of Christ. But now here's something that most of the church does not want to accept. I'm in Christ. I'm seen perfect by God. But i still got some things in my life that needs to be changed. Still some things that needs to be changed. But because I'm justified, I'm in a position that now God can change me. Everybody with me? Did I lose anybody? Now I'm in a position where God can change me. And He's not picking me up and throwing me out and taking me back and throwing me out. I'm, I'm going to fail. And I'm not telling you that you're once saved, always saved. And you can live however you want to live. That's not Scripture. But I am telling you this morning that once you're saved, you're always saved as long as you keep your faith in Christ. Well, I blew it. Are you still believing? Well, how do we know if they're saved? Why are we trying to judge that? You don't got an x-ray machine where we can see the heart, the intent of their heart. Well, they've been out of church for six months. I guess they're not saved. Church hurt is real. Maybe they're just, maybe they're talking to the Lord the whole time. Well, you know, I wouldn't. Look, we can come up with all kinds of religious excuses on why we cast one out. Samuel goes to the house of Jesse to anoint a son as king. He didn't even bring David to the table. And God said, none of these are there or him. Well, all we got is one little ruddy, one little redheaded boy. He's out watching the sheep. Well, go get him. And went out and got him. And God said, this is the man. Listen, the very one that we would delete and make obsolete could be the one that God is moving upon. Can't see their heart. And so now that I'm in a justification, I'm, in, I'm justified. I've came to Jesus. I said, I'm a sinner and I place my faith in you and what you've done on the cross of Calvary. God can declare me not guilty. And I'm in a position now where I can be changed. He's going to start cleaning some things up. Amen. I'm sorry to throw you under the bus, but I'm going to because we got a bus out here. Everybody in here has got some things in their heart that needs to be changed. Nobody came in perfect this morning. Nobody in here is God, so we still got some things in our heart that needs to be changed. Well, what are they? Well, that's between you and God, and mine is between me and God. God's not here to air out your dirty laundry. What good has it done if I was if even if I knew call you up and, and to tell all the things that you've done wrong? Well, I couldn't tell them all, but to tell something you've done wrong. Let me tell you the effect of that. That would discourage you, and you're probably not coming back. I'm preaching good. But if God the Holy Spirit is dealing with you in the secret areas of your heart, you know what? I'm going to go as far as to say this. I'm already out on a limb. I just wants to grab the saw and cut it off. You know, I'm not, I'm not permitting sin, even secret sin in the heart of the believer. But you know why a believer hides it? Because they're ashamed of it. Do you know why they're ashamed? Because the Holy Spirit's convicting them of it. 
Thank God that he's convicting and working on the things that are still secret things. He's not throwing you away. You're ashamed of it. It's because you're being convicted. Better be glad you're being convicted. Why do I feel so bad? Because you're saved. He's not convicting you if you're not saved. You didn't care before you got saved. Oh, I'm preaching good. Now, we go, we turn to God for our eternal life, our eternal salvation. We turn to the Lord. Because I'm not made perfect, I'm still in the flesh. My turning to Him to save my soul from a devil's hell should not stop there. It shouldn't stop there. You didn't you know, arrive the moment that you said yes to Jesus. You got in the kingdom. Now, let Him change your heart to be a witness. You take somebody that the whole, everybody in their town knows them as a drug addict. Everybody knows them as a liar. Everybody knows them as the alcoholic. And all of a sudden, their life begins to change little by little. And they know them as they used to be the drug addict. They used to be the alcoholic. They used to couldn't talk without telling a lie. Well, if it told you the sun was shining, you better go out and check. You know, you don't understand what I'm talking about. But you take somebody that once was and now they wasn't. And now they're not anymore that will voice the testimony that God is changing my heart. Let me tell you something. You know what that's going to do? That's going to draw somebody else. Take a drug addict that's been set free. It'll draw another drug addict. Take an alcoholic that's been set free. It'll draw another alcoholic. Uh, take somebody that has been a take a, a, a preacher that's been backslid. Uh, take a church that accepts him and he come back and he restore, lets the Lord restore him. Put him back to the pulpit. It gives hope to somebody else that has thrown the towel in. Being changed by the working of the Holy Spirit. To those that are born again. I'm trying to move on. I'll get to my text. I promise to those that are born again, what happened when you got born again? I had a desire to serve God. I had a desire to please God. Somebody amen me so I know I'm not alone. We had a desire to please God. Amen. We had a desire to please the Lord. All right. And the Holy Spirit, watch this. Now the Holy Spirit has a mission. I, look, let me back up. I know I'm, I'm all over the place. I turned. I seen my error. I said, God, you're not pleased with this. Forgive me and change this. Very important. Forgive me and change this in me. I'm going to turn from that, and I'm going to turn to God. I've turned from my error. I've turned from God, and the Holy Spirit has a mission. Watch this. What is his mission? John 16. He's there to lead me into all truth. He's there to continue to work upon my heart. I got to say something else. You may not want to amen it, but that's okay. I'm still right. Just because you turn from one area of your life and turn to God, you're not done. <laughs> you're not done. There's not just one thing wrong with us. And sometimes i got to turn from the same thing more than once. Okay, I'll move on. Nobody wants to name at me this morning. Well, you're preaching on repentance. We don't like that word. The Holy Spirit has a mission to transform us and to be a witness. So I turn from my error. I turn from to God. And the Holy Spirit is leading me deeper. Here's what he's going to do. Well, you turn from that. Now you need to turn from this. Well, you turn from that now, you need to turn, lead God and direct me, and now you need to turn from this. Well, and every time I'm turning from it, I'm turning to God. Now you need to turn from this. Okay, well, I'm turning to God. Well, now you need to turn from the fact that you've been lazy in regards to serving the Lord, whatever it may be, prayer, Bible reading. Sometimes anybody besides me, you don't have to raise your hand. I had to ask God, forgive me, I've been a little slack in my study. Okay. They took advantage of the fact I said you didn't have to agree with me. <laughs> Been a little lazy in my study. Get too busy working. I get a little lazy. God forgive me for it. Those things the Holy Spirit does too. And so we're on a twofold mission. I'm turning from things, and the Holy Spirit is changing my heart to make me a witness of God. What is he witnessing? He's witnessing that I'm turning from things. All right, I'll move on. We're still a free moral agent, but with the Holy Spirit knowing our shortcomings, shortcomings and working within our desire to now please God, God can reveal things in us that is not pleasing to Him. And when we surrender that to God, 
When we surrender that area to God by faith, that's how we do it, by faith. I don't want to use a generic term like just lay it on the altar or just give it to God. Because if I asked you, well, what does that mean? How do you tell somebody how to do that? Most of the church can't tell you. Here's how I do it. Well, I do it by faith. Lord, I've been a little bit lazy in this area. I'm asking you to forgive me, and I'm asking you to build that desire in me. I'm turning that over to you, Lord. Build that desire for your word like I've never had before. God, I've been a little bit slack with my tempers, got out of line. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to change that in me, and by faith, I'm believing that you're going to help me with it. Now, turn to God. With my temper? Turn to God with anger? Turn to God with your bondage? Turn to God with our laziness? All things the Holy Spirit wants to talk to us about. Everything that the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you about. Individual relationship. Individual God. Dealing with your individual heart about your individual problems. I like that a lot more than you did. You know, I'm glad that God's an individual God. They're saying things that the Holy Spirit talks to me about that I don't want you knowing he's talking to me about it. And so, thank God that he's an individual God. All things the Holy Spirit wants to talk to us about. And I'm thankful this morning. I'll move right to our text. Verse number 8 where we started. I'm thankful this morning that God deals with me about one thing at a time. And he don't throw everything up at me all at once. Everything that is wrong with me. I'll speak for me, but I would give up and quit. If you knew everything that God wanted to change in your heart, we would give up and we would quit. All right. Now watch this. It's not, it's not hard to understand. I want to make sure you understand this. And Paul, let me say this first. In Paul's first letter to Corinth, he wrote to the, it's considered, I believe the home church there. Corinth was considered the home church. And he wrote, wrote to Corinth there in his first letter. And let me tell you this. He was not nice. Most of the church would never have him back. He was, he come in, I mean, guns a-blazing. And when he come in, he began to call them out. He said, you're involved in fornication. You're involved in adultery. You're involved in envying. You're involved in lying and gossip. And these things should not be something that you are boasting of. If you have an issue or problem, it's something that you should be repenting of. And so that's what he come in telling the church, you're gonna, that we're going to have to repent. Well, he pinned their ears back pretty good and, uh, right, concerning their lifestyle because the truth of the matter is the believers should be different. Whether you realize it or not, if you claim to be a Christian, when you go out into the world, you are advertising Jesus Christ. So how are you presenting Christ? You're advertising Jesus Christ. And so he writes to them concerning their lifestyle. Look at here, verse number 8. For though I made you sorry with a, with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle has made you sorry, though it were for but a season. Now, I want you to understand this is not a contradiction, and don't let it be confusing. It literally means this. The letter that he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians, it made them sorry. It made them feel sorrow because he pointed out that there was wrong in their life and wrong in what they were doing. So they had sorrow there. Everybody with me? All right. A couple of us. If you don't get that, you're not going to get the rest. They had sorrow there for their wrongdoing. But Paul is saying this. I do not repent, though I did repent. In other words, he's saying this. I'm not sorry that it made you sorrow, that you made you feel you sorrow. But I am sorry that it had to be sent. I'm not sorry that you feel the sorrow, but I'm sorry that I had to send the letter. It's not a good time when uh, preachers have to preach a message of correction or a message of warning or a message to take heed. We don't enjoy that. But he said this, I'm not sorry that it made you sorrow because that was the Holy Spirit working on you. I'm just sorry that I had to send the letter. So that, and then it goes on to say this, he, that he, sorry, had sorrow only lasted for a season because they repented. 
talking about feeling better. There's a big thing in the church going on. Talk positive, confess positive, all this kind of stuff. They want people to feel good. I don't have a problem with that if it's in its rightful place, but it should not be done as a means in order to receive from God. But listen, you want to talk about feeling good? You take somebody that realizes they're a sinner and they're on their way to a devil's hell and they come to the understanding that Jesus Christ is the Savior of their soul. You let that individual walk down to an old-fashioned altar or, or at their seat, wherever they may be and say God I'm sorry for my sin and I'm asking you to forgive me and write my name in the Lamb's book of life that's a feeling that you'll never be able to mimic you'll never be able to replace it's something it's joy unspeakable and full of glory he says I'm not sorry because you repented and it only lasted for a season talk about feeling better when you truly repent in verse number 9 Paul said this Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. It literally means this. Paul rejoiced because they allowed the Holy Spirit to convict them. He was thankful because they allowed the Holy Spirit to convict them of the wrong. And they turned from that wrong, turning to God. He explains this, the reason you feel sorry in your, uh, and, and feel the need to, to repent is because, watch this, the reason that you feel sorry and you feel the need to repent is not, you shouldn't be looking at the fact because you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel. I hope it's hard if I say that. That you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel. You should be looking at the fact, the reason that you are full of sorrow and you need to repent is because your heart's desire is to please God. It's to please the Lord. He says this. They turned to the Lord. Because they turned to the Lord, no damage was done. In other words, it reached its intent. The thing about the Holy Spirit convicting us is it will bring sorrow. And it will have an effect. Listen, it will have an effect. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you, it will either bring you to a place of repentance or it will harden your heart and sear your conscience. And that's what we don't want. We want to turn to the Lord in all things. Verse number 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. And verse number 10. Godly sorrow means the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It works repentance. In other words, it's something that I will never regret. There's nobody in here this morning that has turned from sin and turned to God that has regretted it yet. Nobody regrets that decision. It works repentance, but the sorrow of the world, it's talking about uh, that it remains without a desire. That sorrow that remains without a desire to turn to God. Believer, I want to tell you this morning, we need to be careful when we are repenting for the intent, intent of our heart. What is the intent of our heart when we are repenting? Are we repenting because we fear the consequence? Or are we repenting because we truly are sorry that we hurt God? We fear consequence or are we truly sorry for the sin? Because that's the proper repentance. It's twofold. And verse number 11, I'm trying to hurry. For godly sorrow, or for behold this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yes, what fear, yes, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, in all things you have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. Watch this, in verse number 11, he's saying this is what happened. Your sorrow or your conviction of the Holy Spirit because you were offend, that you offended God, it brought about your desire To be right with God in every area. If you're a believer this morning, you ought to have the desire to be right with God in every area of your life. Not in some. And I know sometimes we're guilty of saying, God, you can change all of this, but leave this alone. Leave this alone. I still like this. I still enjoy this thing. I still get a little pleasure out of this. God, you can change everything else, but... Let me keep this. Our desire should be that God would change everything. Watch this. He told them this. He said, you were careful. It literally means they wanted to make it right immediately. He said, clearing yourself means this. You accepted that self was the problem. Self was the problem. 
Ain't nobody else making you sin. Nobody making you sin. Your spouse ain't the problem. Your children ain't the problem. Nobody's making you sin. Everybody makes an individual individual decision. Nobody going to stand with you on judgment day. Nobody is making you reject God today. And Paul is saying this, you've been careful and you have understood that the person that you look at in the mirror is the problem. That's the problem. Because we haven't fully submitted ourselves. He said indignation. In other words, he's telling this, you hated the wrong. You hated the wrong. Don't bow your head down because you had to repent. It shows you hated the wrong. He said fear. The fear and reverence of who God is. In other words, get your head up. You've recognized who God is and that God is a God that loves you. He says the behemoth desire. A longing of your heart to make it right. There was a longing to to right whatever was wrong. With zeal. It means this. You with enthusiasm. I wanted to pursue whatever God told told me was right. Then he says this, in revenge, I determined, I was determined, this is where we all need to be. If I'm speaking of revenge, I'm determined to right anything that God would call wrong in my life. So the apostle Paul is, he is applauding the church at Corinth. He says, I applaud you. Look at all you've done. Get your head up. You've had a desire You were hurt because it hurt God. And now you're determined to make everything right that God would call wrong. Get your head up. Don't bow your head down because you had to repent. Don't let the devil back you in a corner because you had to repent. Don't don't be in a place where you're just discouraged and down in the dumps because you had to repent. He says this, it proves that you love God. Then he says, verse number 12, I love this. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause who had done the wrong, nor for his cause who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. And I'm about to quit, but I want you to, specifically speaking in verse number 12, he's talking about a specific situation in the church of Corinth. I'm not going to go into that. It's really not relevant to the direction that I'm going. But he's telling this, I'm not writing just for the man that done wrong. I'm writing for everybody, every single individual. I'm writing for everybody. In other words, his message, verse 8 through 12, he's applauding the church at Corinth because he said this, you allowed the Holy Spirit to convict you of something that was wrong in your heart, and you sought God to make it right. So get your head up because that proves that you've got a desire to serve God. Ain't that beautiful? Oh, I like that a lot more than what you did. Then he says, many times, and I've said this many times, if you're going to live for God, you've got to learn to repent. There's at least two things I want Brother Jeff and Hannah, would you come? I want you all to do that song. You can come as you are. I I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. There's at least two things I'm not, not just two, that I think that we could all agree on that keeps the believer, and I'm talking about the believer. Well, I got to include the, the non-believer, maybe you've not believed in your heart, but that keeps people from repenting. Now think about what I'm about to say, because I'm about to hush. There's probably, there's more, but at least two. That we have all recognized, if you've been in church very long at all, you've recognized Reason number one is the enemy of our soul makes us feel like we're unworthy to come back to the Lord because I have messed up so many times. I can't count the times that I've had to repent. I don't want to count the times I've had to repent. But the enemy of our soul can... Get in, our, get in our mind, get in our heart and say, what's the use of you going back? You've done it so many times, you're going to be right back here. You're going to mess up again. Number one reason that people does not get out of their seat. You know what? You don't even got to get out of your seat, but it's special coming to an altar. The number one reason is the enemy has already been talking to you. 
saying, there ain't no use you getting up. I know that's southern language. I'm sorry. Bad English, but good preaching. Ain't no use you getting up this morning. You know you're just going to mess up again this week. So what's the use? Well, if we looked at what Paul would say, Paul would say, because it shows when you get up out of your seat and go to an altar, if people understand repentance, it's an open witness that you as an individual have got a desire to please God. Who can knock? Who can throw stones at the individual that loves God so much that I just want to please Him? The second reason that people keep their seat and don't go to an altar and say, I'm not going. I'm not going to repent. It's because the church as a whole has become so judgmental that the moment that we get out of our seat, somebody's peeking with one eye, looking around to see who gets up. And in their mind, they're thinking, wonder what they done this week. Wonder what they done. And it leads to a gossiping conversation through the week. Well, so-and-so went to the altar. They must have really bombed out this last week. I'm preaching good. This is in the church, whether we want to recognize it or not. It shouldn't be, but it is. Because the devil has used that as a tool to keep people from repenting. Well, I wonder what they've done. Well, let me tell you this morning. It ain't none of your business. And just because you don't come to an altar to repent, it definitely don't mean that you shouldn't have. I'm preaching good. I don't know why we're quiet. But listen, if we could put all, do you realize one wrong thought? One wrong thought is something I need to say. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God, where did that come from? I'm sorry. Forgive me. Boss makes me mad. I want to cut his brake line. Spouse makes me mad. I want a divorce. Why do we run to divorce? Why is it we run to extreme? Because there's a real enemy of your soul that's not just trying to hurt your feelings. He's trying to kill, steal, and destroy your life. Repentance doesn't mean that you're worse than somebody else. Repentance means that I've recognized who my God is and I've got a desire to please Him with all of my heart. Repentance. We've got to change this. Doesn't show that we've done wrong. And I hate to bust your balloon this morning. Not a single person in here has a reason to not repent. All of us have a reason to repent. Because repentance is showing that I love God. Now watch this. Somebody gets up from their altar or their pew and makes their way to an altar. The church ought to be encouraged. We shouldn't be looking. We shouldn't be letting the thoughts of the enemy continue to rule our mind. The church ought to be encouraged because they had a desire to do what's right. Romans 2 and 4 says this, Don't you know that the goodness of God led us to repentance? I want to repent because He gave me mercy. I want to repent because He forgave me of my sins. I want to repent because He gave me grace. I want to repent because He loved me when I was still in sin. I want to repent because He's become a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I should have a desire to repent because He's not thrown me away. A desire to turn from what's wrong and to turn from what God would call right so that I would continue to please God. Listen, and I'm going to hush. Repentance is not a bad thing because repentance shows that the Holy Spirit has revealed something in your life that is not yet added up to what God, what God desires and what God intends. That's the first step. The second step is me saying, yes, I recognize that. And my desire is to please God and to continue to serve God. I don't care how many times you've repented. I don't care. As one guy told me one time, I feel like I ought to pay him. I don't care. It doesn't make any difference. 
I just want you to get up. The enemy is saying, don't go. You're not worthy. You've already been a hundred times. And God is saying, I don't care how many times you've come. My arms are still open because I love you this morning. I don't know what it is that would keep you in your seat. But I know what it is that would get you out of your seat. And that is recognizing that there's a God that loves you more. He loves you a lot greater than what your faults are. And to whosoever will come to Him, He will save them and He will change them and help them to be what He needs them to be. Go ahead. Wherever. He's not mad at you. Think about it this morning. No, He's not disappointed. Come on, think about it. We're talking about the true living God. His grace is greater. His grace is greater still. His grace is greater still. Than all your wrong choices. I'm thankful for that. Think about it. And He is full of mercy. Full of mercy. He he is ever kind. Hallelujah. Here is the invitation. Think about it. His, His arms, arms are open wide. Hallelujah. You, you can, can come as you are. are with all your broken, broken pieces. Oh, your, your shameful, shameful scars. Come on, think about it. The pain holding, holding your, your heart, heart. Bring, bring it all bring it all to Jesus you can come as you and that's my altar call this morning if there's something that we need to repent of no judgment in this house this morning somebody judges you come to me afterwards I'll stand with you no judgment here this morning a getting up and walking to an altar is just simply saying, God, I got a desire to serve you. I got a desire to live for you. I got a desire to please you. I got a desire to be what you want me to be, Lord. Uh, God, putting aside all shame, putting aside all of the things that the enemy would try to keep me in my seat about. This morning, I just want to pursue the, your things, and I want to pursue your mercy and your grace. My Lord, I feel that this morning. Uh, getting up and saying, God, forgive me, is saying, God, thank you for still loving me. Thank you, God, for not turning me away. Uh, Lord, we repent. And we turn from it this morning, wherever you want to be. Come on. Come on. There's still room this morning. Come on. Find yourself a place to pray. Come as you are. Hallelujah. With all your broken pieces. All your shameful scars. The pain you hold in your Come on, sing it, Hannah. Come on, pour your heart out to Him this morning. Hallelujah. Even if you're not up here, you should be praying right where you're at. I didn't leave anybody out because Paul didn't leave anybody out. God, help us. God, change us. God, forgive us. Hallelujah. Hear the sound of love. It tells a different story than shattering your darkness and pushing through the lies. How tenderly he calls you, his arms are open wide, and you can come as you. to 
disappointed. His grace is greater still than all your wrong choices. And He is full of mercy. He's full of mercy this morning. And He is ever kind. Aren't you glad of that this morning? Come as you are. I'll leave you with this thought before I dismiss this morning. Believer, don't ever be ashamed. Don't ever be ashamed of the fact that I need to repent. You need to be ashamed of whatever you're repenting of. That's why you're turning from it. But get your head up and know that I am repenting because I want to serve God. I have a desire to serve the Lord and to please God. And don't let somebody else shame you over it either. Keep serving God. His arms are open wide to accept you. So go to him and let him change your life and change your heart this morning. Thank you again for being here. If you were blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail, Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, you can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you and God bless you and your family.